Welcome to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Message of the Week. The Jesus Culture Podcast Network is partnering with our friends at World Vision. We believe deeply in what they're doing. To learn more, visit worldvision.org forward slash Jesus Culture. All right, if you got your Bibles, I want you to get them out. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 7. Get your Bibles out. Matthew chapter 7. Uh, we have been in a series kind of off and on throughout the summertime where we have just been kind of revisiting some of the core values and make up our community as we come out of the season of not meeting together and coming again and meeting that uh, just kind of revisiting some of the core values. We preached a sermon. I, I spoke a series two and a half years ago on the church I see, and we're kind of revisiting some of that. But uh, last week, um, I spoke on submitting to Scripture, that we are a church, the church I see submits to Scripture. And we kind of unpack that. I would encourage you. I'm going to do part two tonight. I'm going to hang out a little bit more in this concept. I want to, it's just, there's a lot involved in this thing that I want to get to. But I would encourage you to go back if you haven't, listen to this, listen to the sermon before. And just talked about this, that ultimately your foundation matters. That if your life is not founded on the Word of God, then it's going to be shaking unstable because everything that is not truth is shaking unstable. And the Bible says that the Word of God is not just true, it's truth. Everything is measured against it. We mentioned this before, that if something is true, then I want to know, well, how do you know it's true? It's because I measured it against truth. But the Word of God is not just true, the Word of God is truth. And anything that you plant your life on outside of truth is going to be shaky and unstable. And we, we talked through this a little bit. Your foundation matters. Being intentional about your foundation is your default mode. What does the word of God say about this? What does the word of God say about this? And we talked about that many times. And I'm going to talk about this a little bit more to, today. But we talked about that if the word of God is not the light board that you are putting everything up against then when that word comes down, something has to go up, and most of the time it's your feelings. So we're trying to determine truth by our feelings. And this isn't just societal issues that we're wrestling with, what's right and wrong, what's true and not true, but just in my own life. How do I view myself? What's true about my own life? And if it's not the word of God that I'm anchored to, then it's my feelings that I'm anchored to. We talked about this, that if the word of God is truth, then what it requires from us is submission. Now again, this word will lead you into an intimate encounter with Jesus. The word of God, apart from a relationship with Jesus, leads to religion. But the Word of God, it will awaken an intimate relationship with Jesus if you approach it correctly. But if the Word of God is truth, then the Bible says that we're to approach it in meekness. We're to receive the Word in meekness, which just means humble. You can't come to the Word of God with arrogance. You have to come humbly, ready to be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer, which is talking about being submitted. One of the reasons why we talk about this is because again and again and again, everybody that I've seen that has fallen away from the faith and, and crashed in their walk with God or, or fallen away or gone into sin, one of two guardrails has come down in their life. We think that freedom is the absence of boundaries, but that's not true. Freedom is not the absence of boundaries. Freedom actually is connected to boundaries. And the two boundaries in our life where you will experience the most freedom is when you have the word of God and community in your life. 
and again and again and again, and you can go through your own stories of people that have fallen away, that they are connected to, they either diminished, they either dismissed, or they disconnected from the word of God, community, or both. Always, always. There's, a, there's an independent, this is that arrogance, there's an independent spirit that goes, I don't have to submit to the word of God, I don't have to submit to community. And I diminish it, I dismiss it, or I disconnect from it. And when one of those rails comes down or both of them comes down, you're in trouble. The world is not coming to scripture as the final authority of truth. And so because of that, everybody lives their own truth, whatever you feel, whatever I feel. And, and society then is in a car, veering high speed, out of control, all over the place, careening off a cliff. That's the world. What concerns me is, is there are many people in the church that are in that same car because they're not approaching scripture in that way. So we're going to unpack a little bit more of this. Are you with me? Yeah? Are you with me online? Here we go. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 says this. Therefore everyone, this is Jesus speaking, therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice, again, this is the ability to hear the word of God and have a casual relationship with it. Do you remember this? It's the difference between living with somebody and being in covenantal marriage with somebody. There is a weightiness, there is a submission, there is a seriousness of how I approach marriage that I do not approach when I'm just living with somebody. And sometimes in church, we're just living with community, we're just living with the Word of God, we actually haven't come into covenant with it. And that's that concept that not only when you hear the Word of God, when you do it, because you're in submission to it. And so there are people that hear the Word of God, but they decide, nah, I, I, I'm going to decide whether or not I do it or don't do it. And these people, it says this, but everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who has built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And here it is, and it fell with a great crash. I grew up, and I've told my story, but I grew up in a really, really conservative, legalistic religious environment. I mean, we were, we were, it was just very conservative. And, uh, and, and so I mean, we had a problem with the church down the street. I mean, we were Baptists, but we had a problem with the other Baptists. You know, I, I remember, I remember us talking negative about Billy Graham, which I don't know how you have a problem with Billy Graham, but we somehow did, you know? And so it was, it was that type of environment. And when I, when I was growing up, it wasn't just that we didn't like operate in the gifts of the spirit. Those things were demonic, it wasn't just like, that's not us. Those things were demonic. So when, when I was 17 years old, I started attending, it was Bethel before Pastor Bill was there, but I started attending Bethel, which was an Assemblies of God, charismatic, Pentecostal church. So this was brand new for me. It was brand new. I'd never been around charismatics. 
And, and I remember it was all like, all of a sudden it was, you know, there was different lingo. We're talking about the gifts of the spirit. It, it was just all this type of stuff. Tongues. You know, there was a few, I mean, I remember one time, the first time I heard the actual public exhortation of tongues, I was in a service in high school at church and, and all of a sudden worship or something kind of got quiet. And I thought some guy just started up and talking in Spanish. This is what I thought. I had no idea what it was. And all of a sudden I'm like, why is this guy just randomly talking in Spanish right now? What's happening? I had no idea about tongues. I didn't know about prayer languages. I didn't know. I, I mean, it was weird for me. The whole charismatic experience was just different. I, I, I remember when people raised their hands, I, I was like, what is happening right now? Like what? We did not raise our hands the way I grew up. Why are people raising their hands in the room? Well, you know, one of the weirdest things I remember is, is there would be a thing, spontaneous kind of worship where they would do a song, but when the song was over, they would continue to play and everybody would just be singing their own song under the Lord. And I remember sitting there going, what? is happening. The song is over. Like the song is over. Why are you still singing? So it was all of this like new experience. But one of the phrases that I began to learn was we are a spirit filled people and we are spirit led. I had no idea what spirit led was. I don't know what that means. But this was kind of language all of a sudden as I was coming out of that background into the charismatic world, I began to find out, oh, as charismatics, we are, we consider ourselves to be spirit led. But here's the problem. We would say we're spirit led, but many times our lives didn't actually reflect that reality. We like the phrase of it, and there was even kind of a, a little bit of a, an arrogance around the fact that we are spirit-led, and that's what separates us from other Christians. The problem was, is you can say you're spirit-led all you want. It doesn't necessarily mean that your life is spirit-led. And, and here's why. Do you understand that when, that when it comes to Scripture... Many of us are not spirit-led, we're actually feelings-led. You can't actually say you're spirit-led and not submit yourself to the word that the spirit inspired and wrote. I don't know if you know this, but the Bible is the inspired word of God. Like the Holy Spirit wrote that book. And so sometimes we want to say, I'm spirit-led but I don't really read my Bible. I'm spirit-led, but I, my life doesn't reflect this in the submission to the Word of God. The Logos written Word of God, I don't really submit to that, but I want to say I'm spirit-led. In, in essence, we're not spirit-led, we're feelings-led. Do you know that Barna came out with a study, Barna, who's the group that studies this stuff and takes surveys? Listen to this stat. This stat should, I mean, this stat should floor you. Barna said that 80 Four, this is just a couple years ago. 84% of born-again Christians, not just social Christians who say they're Christians but aren't actually actively serving Jesus. These are born-again Christians. 84% of them base their moral decisions on feelings. 84% of born-again believers base their moral decisions on feelings. The reality is, 
is, is that many times we're not spirit-led, we're feelings-led. Because we haven't come to Scripture and submitted to the Word of God. I want to unpack some of this a little bit because I, I think sometimes we don't even realize how feelings-led we are. We live in a society right now that is, is, is so off-base in so many ways simply because, and I'm going to talk about secular humanism, simply because they've determined feelings are where you find truth. And so your feelings are different than my feelings, therefore your truth is different than my truth. And what happens is, is, is in the church, we don't realize it, but we've been more discipled by the world's culture rather than the kingdom's culture. And we begin to have our lives led by feelings as well. And this is part of the thing, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to unpack, our feelings show up in arrogance and they show up in empathy and kindness, and I'm going to unpack this. But one of the problems is our feelings are influenced by peer pressure. You think peer pressure stopped when you're no longer in high school. It didn't. Remember the awkward high school years of just so wanting to be accepted? And we think like, well, I'm not a teenager anymore. Peer pressure is not an issue in my life. It is an issue in your life. Peer pressure influences us in a way that we're not even sure. We don't even realize how much peer pressure. And I will say this. We live in an era right now where there are more voices coming at you than any time in all of history. And they are loud. They're loud. We're influenced by so many voices. I've shared this recently, but it wasn't too long ago that the voices you would hear was you'd wake up in the morning, you'd read some of the morning paper, you'd have some conversations at work, you'd come home and watch the nightly news, and that was kind of the extent of the voices that were coming at you. That's not even the, the first five minutes of your day, there's more coming at you than that. Are you with me on this? And so what happens is, is there's so many voices coming at you trying to define for you what truth is. And this is why it's so important that you're anchored in the word, because you are going to get tossed to and fro. You are go I'm just telling you, this is the thing. You're going to get thrown all around if you're not anchored in scripture, because we live in a society right now where peer pressure is coming strong. The analogy I use is that I, uh, I don't know if you've ever been in an environment where peer pressure was just tangible. One of the things I love when we travel, if it's in the summertime, if I can, I try to go watch a baseball game. One of the things I love is watching live baseball games. And so one of the places I always wanted to go was Wrigley. Wrigley, Fenway, just some of these iconic parks, you know, over 100 years old. So I remember going to Wrigley, and if you've never been to Wrigley in Chicago, it's a really incredible experience. But I remember sitting there, and we were like in the upper deck, Upper deck, left field side. And um, we're sitting up there, and I, the, 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 I, I don't know if they were playing the Pirates or the Reds, but there's a tradition at Wrigley that when the opposing team hits a home run, you throw the ball back. You don't keep the ball the opposing team. Just as the ultimate like, just slap in the face. You, know, you just throw the ball back. Well, an opposing team hit, an opposing player hit a home run into the left field bleachers. Ball, get, ball disappears into the bleachers. All of a sudden, 40,000 fans start chanting, throw it back, throw it back, throw it back. Throw, and I don't know how long, they chanted for a little bit. And everybody is looking at one spot. Throw it back, throw it back. And the ball's not coming back. 
I don't know, you know, some tourist, some kid that was so excited to get a ball. I don't know, but they just decided they're not going to throw it back. So they're like, throw it back, throw it back. And it was all fun until all of a sudden they didn't throw it back. And 40,000 people started raining booze on that kid who was holding that ball. It was, it was, it was amazing. 40,000 people. Boo! Boo! And God bless this guy. He was holding on. He was like, it's not going to happen. But it, you, know, you know how 10 seconds feels like an eternity? Boo! Boo! They just were raining booze. The entire stadium was staring at one spot, booing. And then finally, whoever had it just kind of relented. And out of the left field bleachers, boop, a ball comes out onto the field. And the place went ballistic. They were so proud of themselves. They started cheering and going crazy. And sometimes I think, I can't think of a better picture for society right now. We're going to define truth for you. And we're going to come hard for you to believe whatever we say is truth. As believers, if you're going to stand in the midst of storm, and it's, it can be confusing, it's all over the place, you better be anchored to the right thing. I used to preach this to, when I was youth pastoring. I used to preach, we're going to see a generation that peer pressure is powerless. I didn't even realize that this is adults I would be talking to, that we've got to raise up a generation of, uh, that peer pressure is powerless in our lives. The only way that's going to work is if I'm actually anchored. If I know truth enough, if I'm in the word of God, this is part of the problem. There's so many voices coming at us. You know, they, do you know that counterfeiters like uh, my dad was a forensic handwriting and document examiner expert. He, that's one of the things he did when, he, when um, he had a career after he was in the police force. And, but they talk about people that uh, study counterfeit money, that they, that they can spot counterfeit money. Do you know that, that they actually don't study counterfeit money? They study the real thing so that when the, they, they know the real thing so well that when the counterfeit comes, they can spot it. We've got to know truth so well that when all of these voices are coming at us, no matter how many are screaming at us, we're not confused about what truth is because we have been anchored to the word of God. But here's one of the things that happens, and I, and I want to challenge you on these things. When you are a feelings-led believer, not a spirit-led believer, submitted to the word of God. When you're a feelings-led believer, you begin to fall into arrogance. And here's what I mean by that. I remember um, there was a book that came out a few years ago and the theology around it was kind of controversial. And so there was, you know, everybody was talking about it and I followed it kind of from a distance, but I was kind of reading some of the stuff and what people were saying about the book. And I came across uh, like a, a guy that was sharing a video and he was defending the theology of the book. And he gets online and he says, you know, he says, just picture this with me, if you will. This was his defense of the theology in the book. He goes, picture this if with me, Will. He says, imagine a guy getting a puppy, hanging a puppy up by his hind legs, poking the puppy's eyes out. And then he says, I just can't imagine that God would do that. And I remember sitting going, 
what does who you can imagine God to be have anything to do with this conversation? Like, like, we get, let's, like, when did we begin to think that what I imagine God to be or what I imagine God not to be is now the determining factor of who God is? We don't realize it, but we begin to fall into arrogance when I begin to approach God and I say, eh, this doesn't feel like God. I just, I just can't imagine that God would do that. And I think, what kind of arrogance do we have that we think what I can imagine or not imagine is now the determining factor of who God is. I don't get to define who God is. He defines himself. God defines himself. And we go to scripture to find out how he's defined himself. I don't, I don't get to define God. I don't get to go like, no, no, it just doesn't feel like God. And even in this conversation, it's fascinating to me. I'm like, this is how we're going to talk theology now? A story about a puppy? And this is how we're beginning to reach our conclusions of who God is or who God isn't. And ultimately, and I'm not trying to be harsh tonight, it's arrogance that I think that I can come and define God based upon what I imagine or don't, or, or don't imagine. This is why I'm so grateful for the word of God. This is why I'm so grateful for scripture. Because God lays out in his own words, who he is. I don't have to imagine who he is or who he isn't. He lays it out. But the second thing, and this is a big one, and I, I want to handle this one tenderly. I think people have good intentions in this. But there's an empathy or a desire to be kind that begins to direct our theology. Now this is, I want you to hang with me a little bit and I hesitate this. I'm going to use an example around friends or family members that have come out as gay. And this is, the reason I hesitate with this a little bit is a handful of reasons. Is One is, whenever we talk about the issue of homosexuality, it is a deeply, deeply personal thing. And I think sometimes as preachers, we handle it so carelessly and we just want to lump everybody in or we just want to have these big statements without understanding this is a deeply, deeply personal issue for families, for individuals. And I think there are some things that are supposed to be handled pastorally, not just, not just preached from the pulpit. Are you with me on this? So, so there's, I, I understand that people are walking through these things. I understand that people disagree with me. I understand that these are deeply personal issues. And it's also, to be honest with you, and all this type of stuff, this is such a blanket statement, but I think the church has handled some of this stuff in a way that's just harsh. We, we decide to have certain sins that are our pet peeve sins. You know, we don't talk about bitterness, envy, backbiting, disobeying parents, which is kind of gossip, which is actually in the same list. If you read scripture, it's in the same list. We just decide to take a list, pull one out, and that's the one we have an issue with. So there's a whole lot of reasons why I would approach this tenderly. Here's, my, here's, what, here's what I want to say, though. And the reason why I'm going to say this publicly is because I actually am, I, I really th feel that people need to kind of, we need to talk about this. There's many people that have changed their theology, not because of a study of Scripture, but because somebody they know is walking through something. It feels unkind 
there's an empathy and there's a, well, I don't want to be unkind. But again and again and again, what I found is this, is that people actually change their theology, change what they believe to be true, not based on their study of scripture, but based on an experience that somebody else has had. And out of their heart to be kind. Now listen, guys, we're going to continue to be kind and we're not going to be harsh and we're not going to like, I mentioned this last week, we're not going to weaponize scripture. We're not going to, like there's so many things. Like you walk with people, you love people, you don't shame people. There's so many things that we need to do better at. But one of my concerns is I've, I've walked with so many people that they've changed their view of truth, not based on their study of scripture, but because of either their experience or an experience of somebody they're walking with. And their desire to not be unkind, but be kind. Because I, I just, I just, I need to really, you are going to get tossed everywhere in this storm. If your foundation is based on your experience, somebody else's experience, your feelings that are based in, you know, your a good desire to be kind or whatever else. I'm just telling you right now, this is why I'm really coming like hard on this issue is, is that I, people, you are going to get tossed in the storm unless you say, no, my anchor is scripture. And I'm not going to base my life on my feelings. I'm not going to base my life on your feelings. I'm not going to base my life on my experience. I'm not going to base my life on your experience. Listen, there are people that disagree with me, and I don't even mind as long as they're coming to that place from, a, from Scripture. There are some people that study Scripture and come away with a different conclusion than I. And I'm like, at least we're approaching Scripture to say, what does the Word of God say about this? Are you with me on this? If your feelings are your foundation... Can I just say this? You are in trouble. 84% of born-again believers make moral decisions based on their feelings. Listen to me. If your feelings are your foundation for truth, you're in trouble. Because anything that's not the word of God is going to be shaky and unstable. Even in this thing, if we're really honest. How many of you guys really go, I'd love to base my life on feelings because my feelings are super secure. My feelings have never let me down. My feelings have directed me right every single time. Like this is the silliness of it though, right? My feelings never been wrong, ever. Not once have my feelings been wrong. Not once have my feelings been a little bit wonky. They're always super solid, super secure. I can always go to my feelings and trust them. And yet without knowing it, uh, just hear me on this. This is the, this is the only option. You're either basing your life on the word of God or ultimately you're basing your life on feelings. There's no like in between on this thing. <laughs> Let me just challenge you with this. Ultimately, the enemy is trying to erode your foundation. When I'm talking about pay attention to your foundation, the enemy is after your foundation. When, when Jesus says, if you submit to the word of God, then your life is built on a rock. You're going to be fine when the storms come. If you don't submit to the word of God, the teachings of Jesus, then your life, it's going to be based on, it's sand. It's not going to hold up. The enemy wants your life on sand and he is trying to erode your foundation. You have to, it, it is time to take inventory and go, what's my life based on? I mentioned we moved into a house 
a few years ago and uh, bought a house. Really great couple that we bought it from, a great family. They'd lived there, first time home, um, for, I mean, original owners of that home, lived there for 26 years or something. Really great people. But when we went in and did the inspection, there's, it's in Eldorado Hills, so half the house is on a concrete slab, half the house is on a raised foundation. And so when the inspector came in, everything looked great in the house, but they went underneath the house, and underneath the house, the entire wood raised foundation was completely rotten. All of it. They ended up having to repair it. People were graced. It's $38,000 worth of repair. And here's the crazy thing. In 20, I think it was 26 years of living in the house, they had never once gone underneath the house to check it out. And, and there wasn't good ventilation. Water was sitting underneath there. There's a whole lot of problems under there. But the first time they actually went underneath the house to check it out was when they were selling it 26 years later. And I think this is our life. So many of us don't stop and go, I wonder if my life is on, a, on the rock right now or on sand. I wonder if the enemy has been eroding my foundation. And you know how he does this? He does this by allowing secular humanism to creep into your life. You all know how he erodes your foundation? Secular humanism, and secular humanism is this. Secular humanism at the core says you cannot trust anything. Secular humanism says do not trust authority. It cannot be trusted. Secularism says authority cannot be trusted and has been lying to you says that truth is fluid and no one has the right to say what's right or wrong. In other words, you, you, authority, this is secularism. Authority has lied to you. It cannot be trusted. And nobody has a right to come and tell you what is right and wrong. And whatever you feel is truth and right. This is what it is. The problem is, and listen, this is Satan's strategy from the beginning. Listen to me, guys. This is not a new strategy. Satan has been trying to erode your foundation by, by eroding trust in your life. I've been hurt by community, therefore I don't trust community. I don't trust authority. I don't trust the government. I don't trust teachers. I don't trust, like, I don't trust authority in my life. This is the first thing. Listen to this. This is from the beginning. Genesis 3.1 says this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden. You know what a strategy is? Did God really say that? Like, can you really trust that's what God said? You know how he undermines? He gets you to stop trusting. Oh, well, you know, there's, there's this problem with scripture and, and you know, they just, they did, it just, well, you know, they got the, they got the slavery thing wrong and, and they, you know, and the Bible, you know, slave, they like, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, maybe I can't approach scripture. Maybe I can't fully trust scripture. Maybe scripture got things wrong. And all of a sudden it's eroding trust. This is secularism. And this is how Satan works. Did God really say that? Did he? Can you really trust that? 
Because do, do you know what Satan's mission is in your life? Are you aware of this? Satan's trying to kill you. He's trying to destroy you. And he's trying to steal from you. This is what he's trying to do. Guess how he does that? I'm going to get you to not actually trust any authority. And that foundation is now going to become sand, not the rock. Because you're not on the rock because you don't trust authority. And so we come like this. I say, you know what you should do? You should trust the authority of Scripture. Submit your life to Scripture as authority, to the Word of God, to community. And we're like, whoa, I'm not sure I trust authority. Like, that's a pretty big statement. And we don't even realize that we're like, so you're telling me that God has the right to say what's right or wrong? That God has a right to tell me, like, and, and we, we kind of approach it that way. But this is, listen, Satan is trying to steal from you, kill you, destroy you. And you know what Jesus is coming to do? You know what his job description is? Freedom. <laughs> He's trying to set you free. He's trying to set you free. We know this first. Guys, you've been in church. This is what he says to the Jews who had believed him. Jesus says, listen to this. If you hold to my teaching, it's the same concept. If you submit to the word of God, Jesus, the living word, if you submit, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples, and here it is, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is why I'm so passionate about this subject. Because what I want, I, I just see a couple of things. One is I just see people just in chaos, like storms are in their life and they are getting tossed all over the place. They have no real foundation and great is the crashing that's happening in their life. I see people in the storms of culture and society unable to stand, their faith being shipwrecked. And, not, and when your faith is shipwrecked, your life is shipwrecked. Our faith is not some side hobby in our life. Their faith gets shipwrecked. Their marriages are shipwrecked. Their relationships are, they're not bearing fruits of freedom. You know what, they're bearing fruits of bondage. The enemy doesn't want you free. He wants you in bondage. This is the craziest thing. Submission in the kingdom leads to freedom. Submission in the kingdom leads to freedom. When I submit to the Lordship of Jesus, when I submit to the Word of God, when I submit to community, those things lead to freedom. When I refuse to submit to the Lordship of Jesus, when I refuse to submit to the Word of God, when I refuse to submit to community, that road leads to bondage, not freedom. Leads to a life of chaos. And so my heart is this, my heart is, and, and, and I, I gotta tell you, maybe in any other time in history, I, I don't think anything is new under the sun, but you had better it's really time to stop and go, what's my foundation? Maybe I should stop and just peek under the house for a minute and say, what's my life founded on? 
Is it founded on my feelings? Is it founded on social media and what they're telling me? Is it founded on whatever news? I don't care what news you're listening to. Is it, and, and, and can we just clarify real quick, the news you're listening to is also not the Word of God? Your favorite podcast, not the Word of God? Is it, is it based on somebody else's experience? Is it based on my feelings? Is it based on me? What's it based on? And just stop and say, you know what? Maybe I need, like, maybe it's not, maybe I'm not as spirit-led as I think I am. Maybe I'm feelings-led. I need to be spirit-led because the enemy is after your foundation. He wants you on the sand because when you're on the sand, it leads to bondage. When you're on the rock, it leads to freedom. It just does. I want you to be able to stand. And here's the crazy thing, right? I want you to not only experience freedom, I want you to bring freedom to others. How can we give people what we don't have? Do you know that if I'm drowning, do you know that I don't look for another drowning person? Everybody aware of this? Like, like if I'm drowning, I'm not looking for somebody who's drowning next to me. I'm looking for David Hasselhoff, right? That's, come on, that's, that's just dumb. That's dumb. I, 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 that's truly an old reference. I mean, I, are you with me on this? I'm looking for the guy that's confident in the midst of the storms that's swimming, like it's just coming out. It's, it's just swimming with confidence and clarity and strength. We think somehow God's going to send us in the world while we're drowning ourselves because we're not actually on a firm foundation. Trust me, all the people that are on the sand, they're not looking to other people that are on sand. They want to who who are actually able to weather this storm? Why is your life so solid? Well, because I've submitted to the truth. Because truth, I'm anchored to truth is why. Well, I think I'm anchored to truth. Like this is, we've got to bring freedom to people. Not by hitting the head, not by hitting, like we introduce them to Jesus, the living word of God. If you know Jesus, you'll be set free. But as I talk to believers, hear me on this. My concern is not just the world that's in a free fall, it feels like. My concern is not just the world that's in mass chaos in a car, speeding out of control. My concern is when I'm looking at believers going, wow, you're in that same car, aren't you? You're in that same car. Let's anchor our lives. Let's anchor our lives. Are you with me? Yeah? Are you with me online? Stand up with me. Stand up. Come on. Can we just take this a moment? Father, we, we come today. We just recognize that in submission, there's freedom. The world tells us that if you submit, you'll be in bondage. The Word of God says if you submit, you'll be free. If you do the teachings, if you submit to the Word of God, if you submit to covering, if you submit to community, if you submit to the Lordship of Jesus, that there's freedom on the other side of that. God, we want to be a people that in the midst of a culture where a 
storm is raging, that we'd be those that are standing firm on the rock of the Word of God. We're not tossed to and fro. We stand firm. God, that we would, that you would gently expose. God, I'm just asking that you would gently expose the areas in our life where we have decided to base truth on our feelings rather than Scripture. Thanks for listening to the Jesus Culture Sacramento Message of the Week. Check out the work our friends at World Vision are doing for children around the world. To learn more, visit worldvision.org forward slash Jesus Culture.